Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I hear you and I've got you. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, registered dietitian, nutritionist, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm also an author and podcast host with over 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. Hey everyone, Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. I am thrilled that you are here today because we have a very special show. We are coming to you live from Facebook, from Instagram, and from YouTube. And we are going to cover everything you wanted to know about menopause, but perhaps we're afraid to ask. Um, I have two amazing guests with me today, Dr. Heather Johnson and Jennifer Lanoff. Hey, they are everyone, both Ellen here, in the, the trenches, Whisper. working with literally hundreds if not thousands of women going through menopause every day. Uh, they are on the, the uh, National Menopause Foundation's Medical Advisory Board team with me, which is how I connected with them. And we are here to answer your questions about menopause today. So whether you are dealing with hot flashes, weight gain, thinning hair, loss of libido, all of the things... Put in the chat box what your questions are, and we will try to get to them to you to, for you today. Um, and I'm here to say, while menopause is defined as the end of a woman's reproductive life, it's not the end of your meaningful, productive life. I am a postmenopausal woman, and I am having the time of my life. I am moving and shaking and loving my career, loving my personal life. So it's really, I, I think it's such a great time to, you know, do that transformation, the caterpillar to the butterfly thing. But that time when you're going through what is technically perimenopause, the period before you actually uh, get to that point in your life a year after your menstrual uh, cycle stops, can be really, really challenging. And today's show is going to help you transition through and, and manage menopause with ease. I want to let you know if you have questions or comments, you can always reach out to me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. I want to put a plug in too for the National Menopause Foundation, which is uh, nationalmenopausefoundation.org. Great organization, tons of information. There's also a group where you can have a community of like-minded women who are experiencing the changes. Um, and that's a really great supportive place as well. So before we dig into the questions and I bring on uh, Dr. J and uh, Jen. Um, I just was doing a little research and I just think it's so curious that there are only three animals on the planet that go through menopause. And those are us, we humans, short-finned pilot whales and killer whales. In all three species, females lose the ability to have offspring, but continue living for decades after that. And it's just so curious, like why, what do we all have in common? Now, researchers don't know for sure, but they have this hypothesis, which is called the grandmother hypothesis. And there is this idea that older women, or I should say us beautiful, you know, silver-haired, really wise, mature, wonderful women, and I guess the the um the mammals who are seafaring mammals have a lot of wisdom. So for example, with the killer whales, they know the best place to get salmon, which is what makes up about 90, I think 98% of killer whales' diets. And I think 
I see so many women who are, you know, helping to raise the grandkids, who are finding new careers, contributing to society. So I love for us today, as we're thinking about how we navigate this, to also think about how are we rocking it, right? I think it's so much has changed. So many of us are shining our gray hair. I wanted to make sure to mention that all three of us today, if you're watching this uh, with a video, you know, we are shining our silver or our white hair. We are really not trying to look like our 26-year-old selves. And I think we're really proud and vital. And I have to say, even though I am one more breast cancer treatment left and I am done with uh, breast cancer, hopefully forever, um, I feel great. I'm 60. I'm through menopause. I am just having the time of my life. So we're going to really help you to navigate this time. So if you have a question, go ahead and put it in the comments box and let us know. And we'll be happy to try to answer that for you. So let me introduce our guests. First, Dr. Johnson is an award-winning, actively participating gynecologist who, after delivering more than 3,500 babies, that's a lot of babies, over 40 years, retired as an obstetrician. She is the author of two books, What They Don't Tell You About Having a Baby, an Obstetrician's Unofficial Guide to Preconception, Pregnancy, and Postpartum Life. And this book, which I have to say, I was saying to uh, Dr. Johnson that so information packed, it is slim, but really it has so much great information. It is called What They Don't Tell You About Menopause, a Gynecologist's Unofficial Guide to Premenopausal, Perimenopausal, and Postmenopausal Life really jam-packed. And then we are talking to Jennifer Lanoff. She is a board-certified women's health and gender-related nurse practitioner. She's from Washington. She's was born and raised in Washington, D.C. She actually completed her undergraduate studies at Stanford. And then she is also a, a lawyer, which I found fascinating. She has a MSN at, from John Hopkins School of Nursing, and she is a women's health nurse practitioner with a degree from Georgetown School of Nursing as well. So she is really, both of these doctors are in the trenches. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, my fellow members of the National Menopause Foundation's medical advisory team. Good to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's start off by talking about, I want to, you know, kind of frame this. And I know when I was going through menopause a couple years ago, there was so much less information. And I'm wondering um, and, and it seemed like there was less complaining about or, or it wasn't out. We weren't talking about it. What have you seen change? I'm wondering, like, did COVID have anything to do with it? I know that the vaccine did influence people's menstrual cycles to, you know, to some extent. Um, there was that that point where I think a lot of us were, you know, insular using social media, talking more. But it, do you feel like it's changed? And, and if so, why in terms of how much we're talking about it and perhaps even the way people, women are experiencing perimenopause? I have to say, um, many, many years ago, when I joined the North American Men Menopause Society, I went to a conference in D.C., and it was something no one was talking about. And I had one of those little bags that you get when you go to a conference. I was on the metro, and a woman came up to me and said, how dare you come out in public with that? And it just said North American Menopause Society. It was <laughs> nothing other than that. It was a secret. You, If you were menopausal, you were old and therefore not useful or functional. Um, that's, that's changing a lot as um, the boomers and things are coming along and saying, yes, I am functional and youthful and um, I don't need to be able to have a baby and I'm wise. Um, that New York Times article that came out a number of months ago, I think, woke up a, 
a lot of people. So it's a good time for this. Yeah, it's definitely time to take shame off off the the board yeah. here. There's nothing shameful. I mean, it's a natural, normal transition. I think that also my generation, you know, I'm right, I'm 52. I, I sort of feel like we have grown up talking a little bit more about these things than my mother's generation. I think as my mom's generation, you know, I think it was a lot, of, it was really secretive back then, as Dr. Johnson just said. And I think one of the really amazing things is we're just talking so much more about it. There's social media, people are having access to things that they never had access to before. And there's so much new research that's coming out every day that's really showing us the dangers of the Women's Health Initiative and all the things that were wrong with it and all the things that women have been told that are wrong. So um, I think all of those factors have really influenced this big menopause, I don't know, wave, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy to see how little research is done on women. Of course, they don't want to do research on women because we do have menstrual cycles and we fluctuate more than men and we could be pregnant. So they don't you don't want to do clinical trials. But it's amazing because we really don't know that much about menopause. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive how much we know now. But yeah, it's true. It's not been on the radar before, and uh, menopausal women, by definition, are not at risk of getting pregnant. So <laughs> that can't be the that shouldn't be the excuse. So, what are you seeing new in terms of the research that's being done? What are some of the studies that you've seen come out recently? Some of it. Two things. One is the, you know, more reinterpretation or I would say proper interpretation of the findings of the Women's Health Initiative. Um, things were taken very much out of perspective um, when they did the study and the um, publication to the public about what what it meant and what it said is now being looked back at again in more scientific Eyes, and we're seeing that hormones can be your friend, and um, there are ways to get past this without just grinning and bearing it. So let's talk. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, no, I was just going to say. Well, first of all, there's a you know the biggest thing I think to come out in the past couple of months is a new medication that is not estrogen based that women can use. Um, to treat hot flashes that doesn't have estrogen. So one of the contraindications has long been that if you have breast cancer or are a breast cancer survivor or don't want estrogen, then there's really nothing for you except for non-hormonal um, contraceptives, paroxetine, SSRIs, things like that. So there's a new medication, um, Fezolinitin, that was just approved by the FDA, and it, it, it has great success in, in reducing hot flashes. So that's one of the things. And then there are just a lot of studies, I think, showing at the NAM conference last fall, LAMS conference last fall, it was sort of incredible to hear all of the studies about how it's hot flashes are not something you should get through because they're actually not good for you. They lead to increased cardiovascular risk. They lead to increased risks of dementia. And it's not necessarily that taking hormones will pre you know, prevent those down the road, but I think we can now understand that treating those some of those symptoms is act actually maybe good for you and improve your all-cause mortality. So there's, there's studies every day about um, the safety of, of hormone therapy, how it doesn't cause cancer, how estrogen is not linked to increases in ovarian cancer, lung cancer. Um, you know, I, I, the newest journal of menopause just came out and there's some incredible articles. So every day we're, we're learning new things. Yeah. So what exactly are some of the benefits besides treating the menopausal symptoms? It's also going to help you with things like, you know, bone health, cardiovascular health. What are you seeing in terms of you know, reasons to take it on top of the fact that it's going to help treat the symptoms of menopause. 
One of the things that led to the Women's Health Initiative was, you know, at the time we didn't have medications for bones. We didn't have um, all of those statins and it was pretty well known, but maybe not well established that if you started hormone replacement therapy, or now it's called menopausal hormone therapy, um, at the time of menopause, um, osteoporosis didn't develop. You've moved that date back to when you stopped using it. And the rapid rise in cardiovascular disease that accompanies uh, menopause doesn't happen until you stop using it. Um, we didn't function, focus very much at the time about vaginal health and um, genital urinary syndrome, but those two major killers uh, or causes of morbidity and mortality um, are addressed by taking menopausal hormonal therapy. So when yeah. you say taking yeah. menopausal, oh, oh, I know ahead, I was going to say, I have my little thing that I wish I could share my screen, but all the things that estrogen does for our body, I can go on, but I, I don't want to interrupt you. So go ahead and I, and then I'll, then I'll sort of make my list. Sure. I was going to say, so if someone's listening and they're saying, you know, I'm having these menopausal symptoms, or even I want to, you know, my mom's got osteoporosis, I've got heart disease in my family. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the various ways to take it. Cause I know that there are natural uh, ways to take it compounded patches. What are you finding is the best way? Or is it very individualized depending on the patient? Well, I do want to say, so FDA um, hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy is FDA approved for prevention of osteoporosis, um, for genital urinary symptoms of menopause, for hot flashes and night sweats. Um, and I'm losing the fourth one, but there are other side effects that can help. But the one, so the, there are many methods, um, but the sort of gold standard. So one of the, the ways that we gave medications in the Women's Health Initiative was through oral synthetic hormones. So we used Prempro, Premrin. The women who weren't, who didn't have uteruses just used estrogen alone if they had had hysterectomies. And the women who used, who had uteruses needed progesterone to protect against um, endometrial lining building up and leading to endometrial cancer. So the, so we used oral hormones. We now typically use transdermal estrogens because those, um, the form of estrogen is absorbed immediately into your bloodstream and it doesn't interfere with your clotting factors that are in your liver that are in your liver that are made in your liver. So there's less chance of blood clots, less chance of um, stroke. So so we usually do use a transdermal estrogen and then we use an oral micronized progesterone, which is a natural progesterone. And these progesterones, bioidentical is a little bit of a marketing term, but these hormones really try to mimic what your ovary already makes. And so they are very different. They can act as birth control. They're very low dose. Um, so we typically do a trans, you know, a transdermal estrogen, which is either a patch or a gel, an oral progesterone every night. And then if you want to treat your genital urinary symptoms of menopause, then you do a vaginal estrogen because the amount of hormones that we give you in your transdermal estrogen can't get to the tissue in your vagina. So it's sort of a three pronged approach. Of course, there are oral options, um, but whenever you take oral estrogens, your chances of those blood clots and, and those risks increase. So we want to be really careful about that. But if, you know, this, the, your risks are low if you have a history that doesn't show that there's any problem or concerns. So there are many different ways you can take it. I know convenience is really important, but we, you know, with all of our patients, we really try to talk through the benefits, the risks, and which is the best way to actually make sure that the patients are taking the medications that they need. So I have a couple of things I wanted to add to that. Uh, the transdermal, yes, is the the way that we really try and get people to take it. However, um, they're more expensive than the oral. 
Um, and there are states where um, I think Massachusetts is one of them uh, where it's mandated that the costs be lower. But for the average person out there, her copay is going to be much higher if she gets a cream or a gel. Um, you need to get the generic one, which is fine. Um, so we have to bear that in mind. And it's not necessarily that you are at risk, a huge risk if you take oral, it's just that the small risk is reduced even more if you take the transdermal kind. Um, and the natural kind of hormones that we talk about, when the Women's Health Initiative came out, there was no way to give oral medication other than Premarin, which is pregnant mare's urine, and that just seemed unnatural to a lot of people. The process of micronization has been such that now you can take pure estradiol by mouth, pure progesterone by mouth, and that's that's a good advance. Um, there are proponents of giving these natural um, compounded ones, which there are no data to suggest that it's any better. It's not FDA approved. It's you know in somebody's pharmacy that does it, and it's really expensive uh, with no reason for you to be taking other than that. And then additionally, people who give these often have you then get your estrogen levels tested. But we're treating for symptoms. We're not treating for estrogen levels. So if it's enough to stop your hot flashes, we don't need to take it up any further. And that's how, one of the why I feel like these are so, like women that we don't do a lot of studies on women because all of these medications are generic and they don't cost, you know, pharmaceutical companies are not going to make a lot of money. So if you use good RX, I don't, I'm not being sponsored by them, but you can get really, you know, you can get the transdermal patches incredibly cheaply. Um, you can, you know, there are ways to get around paying a lot of money. So yes, you're sometimes insurance companies won't cover it, but there should be ways to get generic medications that aren't that expensive. And can you share a story or two of patients that you've seen and and the kind of dramatic results that they're getting in terms of the relieving of symptoms, hot flashes and night sweats and uh, insomnia, mood swings? What have you been seeing when patients start to take the uh, start taking hormone replacement therapy? Typically, the response is very rapid. <laughs> um, I sometimes when people are hesitant to go through the whole hormone thing, we'll say, well, let's do this. Why don't you just take it, just the estrogen, for a couple of weeks or a month, and we'll do a telemedicine afterwards and keep a symptom record, keep a symptom calendar, and we'll talk. And the vast majority of them come back saying, oh, my God, I can sleep. Um, I'm you know, my family has welcomed me back. I'm very happy. You know, these are the traditional hot flashes, night sweats. I, I can't sleep. Those people, it's it's dramatic. And then we can talk about well, how do you want to do it long term? Um, where what does your insurance company cover? What way do you want to take progesterone? Because you can take it in a combination patch as well. And yeah. how long do you feel, I feel like mood. Good? mood is a big one. Brain fog. I feel I feel like, you know, I have so many patients who are so grateful because they just feel grumpy all the time and they don't feel I I feel like every one of my patients comes to me and says I feel like an alien in my body. And I I do it is sort of remarkable how quickly it helps. I mean, I do want to say I don't I don't want to only plug hormones because there are other options and way we can, ways we can manage symptoms. But I do think that estrogen and a combination of progesterone really does make a big difference with menopausal patients who are really suffering. And how long do you recommend people take 
um, hormone replacement therapy. So taking it, you know, both for the relieving of the symptoms as well as for mitigating longer term issues with, you know, bone health, muscle health, cardiovascular health. Well, at the same time that I'm asking that, that I'm giving them that, I don't want them to stop doing their regular weight-bearing activity. I want to make sure that they get the 1,100 to 1,200 milligrams of calcium that they need. People, for some reason, bulk at calcium, but they want to take vitamin D. Um, you know, if you have a normal level, you have a normal level. More isn't necessarily better. But I usually, each year when they come back, revisit the reasons for their their taking it. And we'll ask, well, um, how about if you pretend you went on vacation and forgot your medication and don't take it for a week or two and see what happens? If nothing is different anymore, you've passed to the other side. There's no reason to take medicine that you don't need. We can work with your heart and your bones in other ways. If they find that they're still symptomatic or their joint pains or whatever comes back, then they've answered their question. Go ahead and take it again for the next year. We'll talk next year. And the North American Menopause Society just came out with their statement um, that said there's really no limit. I think it used to be shortest amount of time, you know, people can take it for the rest of their lives. I have plenty of 80-year-old patients who are on a very low dose for bone, you know, protection, 0.014 of a patch, but you can you can take it as long as you need it or as long as you want to, or long, as long as it's making you feel better, it's perfectly safe. Uh, that's good, Joe. So let's talk a little bit about natural things people can do. So, you know, I've been a dietitian for 30 years. I'm always saying whole food, plant-based diet. It's all about keeping inflammation under control. Certainly, um, Dr. J, you just mentioned doing strength training. So important because we lose like 3% of our muscle mass every year after 50. Estrogen goes down, we lose muscle mass, we lose bone mass. So the strength training is super important. Working on your sleep, working on your stress. What are some of your other recommendations around natural ways to manage menopause? If someone, in particular, if somebody doesn't want to do hormone replacement therapy. I mean, it depends sort of what the symptoms are and what I always start my visits with my patients by asking them what is bothering them the most. If they could have if they could leave my appointment today or their appointment today and and have one dream come true, what would it be? For so many patients, it's the night sweats or the hot flashes. A lot of them, it's the weight gain because um, I because you know, estrogen affects your metabolism just the way it affects, you know, your you have estrogen receptors in your ears. So some patients are dizzy. So there are many things that bother, you know, there are lots of things that bother different people. So we I really try to prioritize. But of course, there are natural remedies um, that you can talk about. I you know, one of the things, there's actually, I just saw an article um, in the Menopause Journal this month that I'm excited to read about black cohosh because a lot of people really do believe in the benefits of black cohosh. So we suggest that to patients all the time. It may not work. It may work for a short amount of time, but it does really, you know, there is some evidence to show that it works. Um, there are non-hormonal options like paroxetine, which is an SSRI that is FDA approved for hot flashes. So those are options that you can try if those are, you know, if those are bothering you, you don't want to try hormones. Ashwagandha has been really good, but of course you want to maintain a healthy weight. You want to, you want to make sure that you're exercising enough. Movement is so important, but um, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women. And so I think that we need to make sure that we're all being heart healthy and making sure that our cholesterol is good, our, you know, heart, we're monitoring our heart disease and all of those things. So I, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole person analysis, but it does really depend on what is bothering the patient the most. 
Yeah, that's great to know if you're listening, thinking about what's my number one symptom. I want to add to the the movement piece too, that it's great to do that recommendation of 20, 30 minutes of cardiovascular uh, exercise every day, but got to move your body throughout the day as well. Getting a standing desk, moving around throughout the day, because sitting's kind of the new smoking. We, as a, as a species, we evolved to move constantly and sit occasionally. And now we sit all the time. And I think that's, I, I'm always, you know, when I work with women who are going through perimenopause, blaming everything on on menopause, I often say, well, you know, what what's your lifestyle like? So it's not a fait accompli, not everybody gains weight, but there's so much that we can do in terms of staying healthy, moving our bodies, eating a good diet. Are you finding that, um, that soy is helpful, other phytoestrogens? So I want to get back to the, the weight and the exercise thing for a minute um, sure. in that, um, so I'll be 70 this year. And I have exercised five to seven hours a week forever. I have weighed the same for the last 30 years. And you look I, fabulous too. <laughs> I never would have known your turn. I know. Seven. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> but I had seven or eight years of the world's worst hot flashes. Okay. Despite the exercise in Bikram yoga, where the temperature is 103 degrees, I would get hot flashes. Okay. So, um, and the stomach thing kind of, I remember in Bikram yoga doing a standing head to knee pose and thinking my top had gotten stuck because I felt a bulge around my belly. No, that was my belly. So, um, it's, you still should do all of these things. And I think that it probably helped me to be less miserable. Um, and certainly if you're obese and if you're inactive and everything, you should do all of these things. Um, but there's going to come a time when you need, for some people, you need something additional and don't want women to feel that they're failures if they haven't exercised their way to, or, you know, herbalized their way to these things. There's going to be some time where you need medicinal attention. Yeah, no, that that is a great point. So if someone's listening, and you guys are obviously both of you are super skilled, very open to helping women, but a lot of OBGYNs haven't been trained in how to treat menopausal women going through perimenopause, which is astounding. I've, I've talked to, you know, my OBGYN who's learned more, but she was like, I got like an hour of training, you know, when I was going through it. How should someone talk to their physician? Should someone think about getting a different physician? Where do you sort of start that conversation where you feel like, I feel like I know more than my doctor does in terms of what I'm experiencing? You should not be afraid to see another physician. Um, there's a standard thing that the younger doctors are being taught, though I think they're addressing it a little bit better now. Um, but if you have these basic questions, first, they probably should have asked you if you're 47 to 52 or something, are you having hot flashes, night sweats? Are you having any symptoms? Do you notice vaginal dryness? So that's a cue, I think, right there, if you're not asked those questions. Um, but if you are asked those questions and they quickly move away, um, this is very important. And um, you need to find a provider that's willing and knowledgeable to be helpful. Yeah, the North American Menopause Society um, has a, you know, a practitioner. They have menopause certified providers, but then they also have providers who are members of NAMS. I think that's where I'd always start because those people we know are at least keeping up with the current literature, you know, attending conferences, listening to what the best evidence is. And so I think that is a great guide. I mean, I had a patient today who went to her OBGYN 
who's 52 and she was complaining about the hot flashes and she her OBGYN told her that that's just sorry it's part of being a woman and I feel like (laughs) I mean of course it's being part of being a woman but then also there are things we can do about it so yes I feel like Dr. Johnson is so right you can you know vote with your feet and make sure you're asking the right questions and if you're not and if you know more than your provider about menopause then you need to try to find someone else I'm really Good. sorry to hear about that. Sorry, it's oh, part of it. I, remember, I feel like I have to get up and walk around the block. I get so frustrated. <laughs> I mean, tell a teenager who comes in with acne, sorry, that's part of adolescence. Um, it's just, it's remarkable. Yeah, well, it's starting to change, which is great. And it's getting more visibility. So um, just, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about the symptoms, some of the symptoms that are not as well known. I want to talk a little bit too about depression. We don't know whether the drop in estrogen causes, you know, more depression. Women in midlife have the highest rate of depression for any group for age and gender. If it's the changes in estrogen, it's the symptoms. I want to put that out there. So if you are struggling with your mood and it is continuing for a long time and you are actually not not enjoying the things you once enjoyed, it's a good idea to really get tested, see if, if you are experiencing depression. So that's what I would put out there. I know things like itchiness and certainly the vaginal dryness. Let's talk a little bit about the, the symptoms you're seeing, the familiar ones, as well as the ones that maybe are not as, as spoken about as often. Just like some gynecologists are not well-versed in uh, menopause, which they should be, they're very uncomfortable also dealing with depression. And oftentimes when I have discussions with patients, we're trying to decide, is this depression? Is it menopause? Is it a combination of menopause and depression? And having the conversation of saying, well, you know, some of the SSRIs will not only address the depression, but it'll also address your um, hot flashes. I say the the address is sort of like a 20% discount. You get 20% less hot flashes or they're 20% less severe, but that's good. Um, and if you also deal with your depression, so you have to be comfortable understanding that one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Yeah, well, in estrogen, on that list I was going to read you before, estrogen improves your mood, body temperature control, memory, libido, so many things, heart palpitations. I have so many patients who come after having gone to the ER because they think they're having heart attacks. And it really is just lack of estrogen and it's regular and body t- reg- temperature regulation and all of those things. So um, I also feel like sometimes patients, the first line for menopause are antidepressants. And so I have so many patients who are come to me on antidepressants. We start them on estrogen because of their hot flashes. Their hot flashes go away. They feel so much better and they're sleeping better. Sleep is the center of everything. And so if they're not sleeping well, they're not going to be in a good mood. They're not going to want to have sex with their partners. They're not going to want to get up and exercise in the morning. They're not going to want to, you know, they're going to reach for the bad snacks instead of the healthy snacks. So I feel like sleep is so important to all of this. And so once they're feeling better, I have so many patients who who can wean themselves off of the antidepressants. So of course there are patients who need that. Um, But I always try to sort of pare it all down. Like, let's start from the beginning. Let's, you know, just try this medication first. Let's see how you feel off of this. But, um, you know, again, like estrogen is not the magic pill, but I do think it's important to so many of our functions, cholesterol regulation, um, metabolic function, weight metabolism, joint pain. I have a lot of patients come with joint pain or paresthesias in their hands. Uh, It's so interesting how many different ways our bodies function and how important it is to estrogen. I say that if men stop making testosterone, I think the world would be on fire. But women, you know, are just told, like I said, like my patient was told today, like it's hard to be a woman. But yes, there are so many weird symptoms. Acne, dry skin is a really common one. Um, you know, loss of hair. 
you mentioned before. So there's some some pretty crazy symptoms. Yeah, I know itchiness was one, and and certainly the vaginal dryness. I have to say, as someone who uses estradiol is the bomb. It really is so easy. It's you know inexpensive. My insurance covers it, and it's made a huge difference in terms of my enjoyment of intimacy. So it's it's awesome. So let's talk about addressing some of these. I've got a couple questions from people. Uh, one woman, you know, the, the question of, of weight loss is always out there. And of course, we've addressed move your body, hormone replacement therapy, uh, certainly diet. Are you having any thoughts in terms of the waist expansion and the weight gain, what you tell your your patients? Because a number of people ask me, so what do I do about weight gain? So that the, the fact you mentioned after 50, there's a 3% um, decrease in uh, lean muscle mass. But from 30 to 50, it's about 3 to 8% per decade. So, for, and for some reason, the bank calls the loan at about 50, right? And so suddenly you're sitting there requiring 200, 250 less calories a day than you used to require. So if you go on a diet, you're not going to lose weight, you may maintain. And so it's the understanding that, you know, our bodies are composed differently now. We do need to work on increasing our lean muscle mass um, with our exercise. Um, but we also will need to accept that we do require less calories um, to function. And so, unfortunately, that's a painful either decrease in calories or increase in expenditure along with, you know, along with the lifestyle things. And I think weight building, those kinds of things make it a little bit easier. Now, I tell people too, to, to eat a lot of vegetables too, because vegetables, because of the volumetrics idea that they have so much bulk, if you have a huge salad, you're going to be full because your stomach is going to get extended and your body actually creates hormones that tell you that you are, are full. Um, also, I, th- I find it's really helpful with my clients too, to decrease the carbohydrates, really try to get rid of those refined carbohydrates, also just processed foods in general, because inflammation plays a big role in in terms of symptoms and also in terms of disease progression. And so when our bodies see artificial ingredients, they often our immune system looks at that as an invader and it increases inflammation. So I'd say just really cut out the processed foods. Also processed foods are full of sugar, fat, and salt, which makes you want more of them. You can't eat one M&M or one potato chip. You open the bag and they're gone, but more foods that are going to have high satiety, more protein. That's another thing. Women after 50 need 50% more protein. Mm -hmm. So I'm always telling my clients to decrease the carbs, particularly the refined carbs, processed carbs, and make sure you're getting enough protein. And also you're getting healthy fats, which also help with menopausal symptoms. I love fiber. That's my big thing yeah. now. I've been telling, I really, you know, especially uh, I think as we get older, estrogen is involved with the GI function. I tell my patients to start getting some fi- a lot of fiber into their diets because A, it helps with satiety and B, it just helps with gut function. So I, I um, that's one of my first go-tos when I talk to my patients about weight gain and that meno belly. The meno belly is rough because I do feel like weight redistributes. And if you look around and you see older women who are menopausal, you'll see there's their weight distributes to a different place than they used to carry it when they were younger. So, I mean, that's a real thing. So I, I think a lot of patients, that's one of the things they feel like they are aliens in their own body because their bodies are just so different than they used to be. So um, talk a lot about fiber. You're right. Like low sugar to, um, the exercising, the intermittent fasting and and things like that. So there are lots of things to be done aside from the Wagovis and the Ozempics of the world. But um, yeah, I feel like as a women's health provider, that's number one priority for women. 
What are your thoughts about soy and other phytoestrogens in terms of, you know, being like estrogen and giving you an estrogenic effect? I think soy got a bad rap. I actually was was doing went down a little rabbit hole the other day because my friend was telling me that she refuses to give her son soy. And I and I was reading all the studies. I think it was, you know, kind of all of a sudden no more coffee outlets were carrying soy milk and everyone was so worried it was going to cause cancer. Um I think it's, I think soy is good. It's not necessarily in my pocket of of things that I recommend, but it's a definitely it's a natural source and the phytoestrogens are good for you. So, yeah, sure. There also is a difference uh, apparently in um the enzymes that people carry in their gut that can break this down. And so by ethnic group and by just, you know, personal heredity, there are some who will benefit from it more than others, which is some of the reasons the studies are so difficult. You know, some say it's great. Some say it doesn't make a difference. So I wouldn't avoid it. I don't know that it's the be all and end all, but it's it's a good a good source of nutrition. Yeah, high in protein and also yes. fiber. If you're having something like adamame, um, you know, I love tempeh because it's got the also the um, Dr. Haber, Dr. Claire Haber, who I had on my show as well, who's who's wonderful, who's written this Galveston diet. She is a, uh, I believe, an OBGYN, um, and she was talking about the importance. And we we discussed the microbiome, and you have something like tempeh, so eating more probiotics, prebiotics can really help to bolster your gut which is going to be beneficial as well. So a lot of people have asked, so I don't want to go on hormone therapy. What other options are out there? So when a client comes in and you're like, well, you should try this. And I love what you said, Dr. J, about let's just try it and see how you feel. What if somebody is really adamant, maybe they have had some breast cancer in the family and they just don't want to go there. What, what advice can you give in terms of someone who doesn't want to do hormone replacement therapy, but is experiencing symptoms? I've seen more more improvement with SSRIs. Gabapentin is, is um, often touted as that. I've not had a lot of success with patients with that. Um, it, it does help a little bit more with night sweats than hot flashes, um, but the reception that I get from the SSRIs, there's a, a mental block though with a lot of people from that. There's like, I'm not depressed. Well, I, I didn't say you were, this is a side effect or a benefit um, from this medication. So I think that's one of the biggest ones. And then hopefully there'll be this new one, but um, it's new and um, it's expensive as all new and expensive new things are. Oh, there's an incredible coupon for it. So. No, I have them, uh, but it'd be $500 a month uh, oh my goodness. to take those. And so I I have no objection to prescribing it, but I would typically have people do all of the other things first um, when something is new, because the once something is out there, um, like the medications we have for Boniva and things for bone loss, it was originally intended to for people with osteoporosis, but people got so excited about it that they started giving it to people who had osteopenia, which is like 80% of anybody who's postmenopausal. And then you have millions and millions of people taking this and you're going to start seeing the small side effects, um, the, the small percentage things. And so um, if you have no other option and you'd like to try that, then I think it makes sense to do that rather than it being the first line of defense for anything. Is it depends what their there depends what their symptoms are too. Um, you sure. know, so right, what is their priority if they're having the night sweats and the or it's the brain fog or you know what's sleep right. or what we have to figure out that. But so right. I so 
the Fez Vizoa, I can Fezolinitant is the name of the medication. Um, I mean, it's just been approved. It's just out there. The studies are really promising and look good. It has to do with the 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 brain receptors and targets in your brain that cause the hot flashes. It's the science of it is really interesting. There's a coupon for it that you get the first month free. And then I think it's $35 afterwards if your insurance won't cover it. So I haven't had an insurance company reject it yet because I'm only giving it to my breast cancer patients. And of course there's an indication there. Um, So I haven't really tried with the patients who don't just don't want hormones for whatever reason, but um, definitely promising. And that, yeah, and the SSRIs work. Gabapentin I worry a little bit about because it can be addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't try that one as much, but yeah, there, there are plenty of options and, and some people are really happy with effects which I think actually works a little bit better than the paroxetine. There are all kinds of, of options to try. And have you so seen good. the results with the Vioza? I, I, I mean, my pages have just, are just starting it. I'm just starting to give it. So I know that the studies show incredible results. So I feel very hopeful about it, but I, you know, I have, we're just in the first month of it. It just came out. The beginning of June. None of these things, though, the alternative things address the, the genital urinary syndrome of, of menopause. We used to call it atrophic vaginitis. Um, and the thing that works is vaginal estrogen. And um, it's hard to convince people that it doesn't really affect. I mean, a lot of oncologists will have their breast cancer patients use it because it's not in any meaningfully measurable amount in your bloodstream. So it's not gonna make that worse. Um, And urologists are now using it for the recurrent urinary tract infections and frequency that you get um, postmenopausally because that both areas are are, uh, supported by estrogen. I had always been a fan of S-string, which is the estrogen ring that you put in and it lasts for three months. There's no generic equivalent to it. And so the copay I've seen go from $30 to $700. But I've noticed recently that when the urologist uh, prescribe it, they cover it. For female, for women, it's called a lifestyle medication. And so the insurance company doesn't have to cover it for that reason. So mm-hmm. just the that really helps with the urge, urge incontinence and the chronic UTIs, which I feel like women women get so much. I, I, so many friends who are urologists who think they're saving lives by putting women on nursing homes on vaginal estrogen because they get UTIs and then sepsis and then die. So preventing those UTIs that seem to be happening all the time as you get older is really important. Those tissues dry out, your urethra is not as protected. So vaginal estrogen really does work. There are lots, there are some other options too. DHEA, which is a precursor to testosterone and estrogen. Um, If your oncologist is worried, that's a little bit less risky. Of course, there are always, um, there are always things, you know, silicone lubricants and things like that. But, but um, estrogen really is the gold standard for the for the genital urinary symptoms of menopause. And you can start that at any time. Unlike the systemic hormones that you really need to start within 10 years of menopause, you can start the vaginal estrogens at any time. So you don't need to wait. And I like to tell my patients that, you know, after 50, you're not really meant to have sex because you're not having babies. And, and that's not going to get better. If those if you're having those symptoms, you're, you're going to need some help. Yep. And I, as someone who is a breast cancer survivor, I, I use it. It's super easy. They've, they've just turned it into a pill now, which is is a little yeah. There are a bunch insert. of different yeah. methods of delivery. Yeah, I like Very the easy. The I like the cream the best, just because <laughs> I think it's absorbed the best. But um, and it gets to the outside of the vestibule and the in the vagina as well. So you know, if there's if there are issues with pain with with penetration, then the creams tend to work a little bit better for both of those things. 
For my, some, I have a number of patients who find the creams very messy. I think they're very soothing for a lot of things. So I'll give them the tablet to use twice a week and then the cream as well to use externally at the introitus and things so that they get the benefit of both. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, because intimacy doesn't need to end. <laughs> When, you know, when you get to be over 50 or you're going through menopause, absolutely. And a lot of ways it can be nicer because you're not worrying about pregnancy. Maybe your kids aren't around and it can, it can be absolutely lovely. A couple other questions. Someone asked about an alternative for testosterone. I'm not sure why, but I mean, are, is that common that you're prescribing women oh, testosterone? I, mean, I do this a lot. Dr. Johnson, you want to talk about this or do you want me to, to do it? No, you love this one. You go for I love, it. I know. It's a weird, <laughs> weird little love. Um, yes, there are plenty of options other than testosterone. And of course, testosterone is not FDA approved for women anyway, but that will never happen because it's generic and you know, no, one, no pharmaceutical company is going to care about you. Women who are worried about sex. So yes, there are a couple, there are a bunch of options, and I always talk through this with my patients. Of course, there's always getting to the root of the problem. Is there is there some cognitive behavioral therapy that needs to be involved? Um, is it low libido? Is it pain? Because if it's pain, it may need estrogen. There may be some lichen sclerosis. There may be other things that are causing you know vestibulodynia. There may be other things that are going on. So you always want to have your provider do an exam. Um, but yes, there the FDA there's an FDA approved medication called Addy that is a ser- involves serotonin, kind of like your SSRIs. Um, again, you have to order it from a special pharmacy. It usually, is covered with a coupon. It's not it, hopefully not that expensive. Um, there's there's a lot of success with that medication, and it, and for premenopausal women, it hasn't been approved for postmenopausal women. Uh, it works just as well. It's just they've never done the studies. Um, there's a there's a drug called Vilesi, which is an injection, kind of like a Viagra that you take maybe 30 minutes before um, you have sex. It helps blood flow to the organs and makes sex generally more pleasurable. I you know I haven't seen many patients want to try that one. Um, Viagra is not really an option. <laughs> there has been some success with women who are taking SSRIs um, because the, it sometimes it's like it will help with the actual sexual experience for women who have trouble having orgasms and things like that on SSRIs. So that's sort of, there's some good studies about that use. And then of course there's testosterone, um, which we, you, you know, you would use an incredibly low dose. We, you know, NAMS does not endorse the use of pellets because they're not FDA um, approved or governed or no one looks at them and they give you these huge physiological doses. And then you sort of drop, drop, drop. We really try to, there's a lot of extra monitoring involved, but, um, and you, you know, you do a small click one tenth the dose of what men take every day. It is generic, so it can be pretty cheap. Um, but yes, there are tons of other options. Sometimes we use Wellbutrin, as, which is an antidepressant, which has the side effect of lowering appetite and in, in, increasing sex drive and improving depression. So yeah, there are tons. Of, it's like, yeah, it's one of my favorite kinds of patients to have because there are so many different options and so many things that we can do. So I guess the, the bottom line with that is talk to your physician. And if your physician is not well-educated, find a different physician. Yeah. ISWISH, International Society for Women's Sexual Health, is sort of the main organization. And so they do so much work in this area. And they have some really incredible people who are stu- who study this all the time. So there's, you know, that's that's another organization I love to be part of. And, and they just teach so much about sexual pain, libido, all, you know, there there's a whole world of that. Problem. We need more me, more films that show uh, women our age. I think that's a big piece of it. I think we're we're so socialized to thinking about like romance. Sex is supposed to be this way that it was in our twenties and thirties, and it's it's quite different. I think it's can be absolutely lovely. So thank you for sharing all that, Doctor J. Do you have anything to add in terms of that testosterone? I guess libido question. 
Well, you know, it's it's one of the number one things that happen is it's as if a light switch turned off once they're menopausal. They just have no desire. Um, for many, many, many women, a lot of it is just because of the discomfort. I mean, it feels like you're having sex with chapped lips. And um, so I think that should be addressed first. And then if you need additional things, um, alternatives to the vaginal estrogen, because we have much more data on that, then we shouldn't just say, well, you know, tough. That's because there are some some other options that work well. One size does not fit all. Um, so, And probably everyone can use a little pelvic floor therapy. So yep. that's another, that is another huge component of any care that I give my patients. Yeah. And communicate it with your partner too. I mean, I had one person, another question uh, that, that I actually answered the person, they wanted to know that about hot flashes and dating and confidence and the guys are having trouble too. Right. You know, and so it's, I think if your partner isn't open or if you're dating someone not open and they don't, they ha- think something is wrong with you with, with having a hot flash, or if you need you know, more help getting to an orgasm with, you know, having issues with your libido, well, then they're not the right partner for you. Uh, okay. So it's, they're going through things. My, uh, my partner, my fiance um, had um, benign prostate hypoplasia. So we had to like work with that for a while and he had some uh, procedures with that and he's doing great, but they're, they're struggling too. Someone uh, called it ma- menopause the other day. And huh? I feel like I love that so much menopause. Well, also we're giving men so much Viagra and we're not really treating the women. I, I, right. I hear people say this all the time. How, we, we've got to treat, you know, there's got to be someone who's receptive to the Viagra, the person who's taking the Viagra. So there needs yeah. to be both, yeah. both sides of the chain. There's also, you know, a couple of things that people need to think about. There are alternate ways to have sexual relations with someone. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, the the one tried and true endless, you know, it's not like it was when I was 20. Well, be real. What is it about your body that is the same as it was when it was 20? Okay. So you may can't, you may be able to run as far, but it'll take you longer. Um, you know, you can't stay up as late at night. So some of these things are just natural changes. And it's, I think, a little unreasonable to expect people to be sex bunnies or whatever. So what works for the couple? It's, it's really very important to be able to talk about that. And to set for, for many people, it's their, you know, they'll snuggle watching TV and hold hands. And if that works for them, rather than them thinking, well, we're not having sex twice a week. So there's something wrong with our relationship. Um, you know, Right. The first question we always ask is, is it bothering you? You know what I mean? Some people are perfectly happy to never. And that's that's fine. That's how that's how their body's made. Or, you know, some people, is it bothering your partner? You know, let's we have to you have to talk so much through it um, to make sure that you're really addressing the issue. But yes, 100 percent. Yeah, I love that. Just, to, you know, and it's okay to change and work with your partner and see what works for you. Someone else asked about how hair loss, how to slow it down. Is there anything that we can do to slow down that hair loss? I don't know. We use, min- I use Minixida a lot, you know, Rogaine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I don't know if it slows down hair loss as much as it, you know, promotes growth. Right. Yeah, that's a hard one. You know, as, as we get, as we age, we're going to start to lose more hair, but I do find that, you know, the Rogaine over the counter male, you know, you're going to pay more money if it's a woman's product. So we recommend just using the man's product. Um, but I, it, it does work. It's not a, it's not a quick fix, but it does work. Okay. Agreed. And, 
Um, and I have a question from a 66-year-old follower who says that she lost her joy with menopause. And then like the brain fog, which cleared several years ago, I have not had my joy return. return. Um, she doesn't think it's depression, but she has to make herself smile. Might be more my department being a psychologist, but I'm wondering if you, know, if you see that. I mean, I know I see a lot of women when they go through this period, they need to do um, a life evaluation, sort of look at... How did I get to this point? What's working? What's not working? Working on play, working on joy, working on reinvention, particularly if you're, you know, heading into retirement, looking for meaning, purpose, having more fun, having more adventures. So I'm always trying to get people to step outside their comfort zone, do new things, really, uh, and find that joy from within. Thoughts about that? Do you see a lot of that if women sort of are losing that zest for life, the joy as they're going through menopause and how to get it back? Some of that is 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 uh, the menopause, and some of it is the acceptance of aging. Uh, that we have this goal or ideal of how our body should look, and you know, I've become invisible. You know, as you get older, I'm just old, um, and we're a part of that problem. And this is an education and an, and um, a celebration of life and ourselves. Um, if you see yourself as done and a has been when you have so much more to offer, you have so much more wisdom. There's so much more you can weigh in on. There's so many experiences and you can just sit and look at some flowers and like it. Um, it's a re-education, I think, of ourselves and society. The first question I would ask her is, how's your sleep? <laughs> because yeah. I, I know. Sleep I is really, it. Sleep That's- is it. That's a pandemic. That's an epidemic now. Yeah, the, yeah. That's so a many point. people who don't, and not just menopause, although it aggra- gets aggravated. But I think that's one of the number one complaints I get from patients when I ask, you know, problems 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. We, we, it's yeah. a new industry, um, but it's very important. Put, yeah, your phone, well, put your phone down. <laughs> don't watch TV in your bedroom. Like there's, there's some things you can do that will help you with your sleep. Yeah, well, sleep is important for everything from, you know, obviously mood, weight gain, our bones remineralize when we're sleeping, our body is healing, you know, we are consolidating our memories. So just if you're listening and you want to address sleep, as um, Jen just said, you know, turn your screen off at least an hour before you go to bed have a sleep ritual, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Don't don't have alcohol close to bedtime. Spicy foods can interfere. Also try to not eat so close to bedtime. Have some kind of ritual, something you do to relax. Listen to music, take a bath, journal, do a little bit of yoga or meditation. Uh, brain dumping is great to just dump your problems. Um, and I find, you know, in terms of supplementation, I think melatonin is good for some people. And also melatonin seems to possibly have some uh, ability to re, to help with the uh, the bone loss. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Uh, herbs like valerian, chamomile, or chamomile tea can be great. There's some interesting studies too on smelling lavender. I don't think- Yes, you- I was just, that's so funny. I was just yeah. about to say that. When I put my, when I have my patients who I put IUDs in, I always have, like I infuse the room with lavender because I really mm-hmm. feel like it's a de-stressor. It works. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, well, our limbic system is right behind our nose. So, I mean, it's like our emotional brain is right there. So essential oils can really help with that. Um, don't, although I I have to say, I've had a couple of clients who are taking sleep medications. I love the book, Why We Sleep. And he's very much, 
they don't give you the real non-REM, REM sleep. Right. Um, so those really aren't aren't the answer. Anything to add in terms of uh, helping? Well, sleep I don't know if this is controversial, Dr. Johnson. Tell me what you think. I so you know one of the things we learned from the Women's Health Initiative was that we're really not supposed to start progesterone. I'm sorry, hormone therapy. 10 years out of menopause, but that's mostly to do with estrogen because of its anti-inflammatory effects and its, you know, its ability to sort of cause plaque breakoffs and things like that. Sometimes for those patients, I will just start them on some progesterone, which is really the hormone of relaxation. And it does help with sleep. And so I find that some of my older patients really are very happy with just a little bit of progesterone. Cause it, again, these hormones are the hormones of mood, estrogen and progesterone. And I find just a little progesterone will like goes a long way with those patients. I do the, you know, I do the micronized progesterone and it's all one of these things that you can try and see how it works. And if it doesn't work, then stop. So, you know, it's not like we're putting something in your brain, but um, it's, you know, it's not my first go-to, but it's definitely something I think of for a, an older patient who may be 10, more than 10 years out of menopause. Well, we tell people when we put them on the Prometrium to take it at night because yeah. it, it's a soporific. Um, and so, sure. And I've had a few people um, try that. I can't tell you I have enough of a trial. Yeah, no, I don't either. I just, it's, it's something that I sort of like the back of my head when I'm struggling with an older patient who presents, who's, you know, never was on hormones and all of those things. So. Well, so much that you can do for sleep. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I have learned a ton. I really appreciate everything that you are doing out in the world to support women. I want to let people know if you want to get Dr. Johnson's book, which is super, it is what they don't tell you about menopause. A lot of really great information for you. And where, um, Dr. J, where can people reach you? I know you're you're on um, Instagram. What's your the best way for people to- um, Instagram, Facebook, it's um, Ask Dr. Johnson, I think. Ask, Ask Heather Johnson, I think it is. Uh, yeah. Ask Heather Johnson. <laughs> that one, right. Yeah. And Jen, where can people find you? I think mostly on Instagram. I'm trying to become, you know, my kids make fun of me. I'm trying to become a little influencer, but um, uh-huh. yeah. there's you can reach me there or Google me and- really easily. Is it uh, Jen Lanoff? It's I think it's Jennifer Lanoff. Jennifer Lanoff. That'll, or that'll Jay Lanoff. All... That may get my sister, but yeah, it's it, they're, they're, we're the only Lanoffs in the world, so it's not going to be hard to find me. Okay, and we, you can find all of us at uh, the National Menopause Foundation's medical advisory team. If you haven't checked out the National Menopause Foundation, it's just nationalmenopausefoundation.org. Great information there. National Menopause Society is another great place if you're looking for a physician. If you want to reach out to me, it's themidlifewhisperer.com, themidlifewhisperer.com. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave a review. It helps other women find the show. Let me know the kind of guests you'd like to hear. If you want more menopause information, I'm happy to do it. I've learned so much. Thank you again, Dr. J, Jen. It has been a pleasure, and I hope to see you both again soon. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you.